Uh, welcome to the Wellbeing and Career World podcast. I'm delighted to be chatting with executive coach and career strategist who has helped over 100 experienced professional women to make powerful and aligned career moves they thought were five years away. Caroline is committed to helping women reclaim their career and leadership mojo with her emergence experience so they can accelerate their impact, income and satisfaction. And on today's podcast, we'll be chatting about investing in yourself. Uh, very well welcome to the podcast, Caroline Ray. How are you today, Caroline? I'm great, David. How are you today? I'm wonderful. So let's get this started, Caroline. So where are you right now on planet Earth? I am in London, UK. Very um, nice. And can you can you go more into detail about that? London's a big city. It is a big city. <laughs> so I'm in my um, home office down in the southwest of London. Um, I've moved around a bit in London, so it's always nice to explore a new area. It's beautiful. Winter sun. <laughs> Oh, very nice. So, um, yeah, feeling very energised about February at the moment. And uh, clear blue skies, temperature-wise, for anybody listening in different countries, what were you talking about in the Celsius? Ooh, I feel like it's probably... I feel like it's probably a three or a four, but it's definitely going to be warmer when I get outside. That's what I reckon. So, okay, that's, that's that beautiful, crisp, frosty, lovely. Wonderful. Summer is a beckoning. Actually, the evenings are getting quite lighter now, aren't they? Such a such a turnaround, isn't it? Yeah, it's been quick. It's been a very quick winter. Okay, let's then, I gave a little introduction about your background. Can your little listeners know a little bit more about yourself? Yeah, so I am um, an executive coach and career strategist. And before I was a coach and career strategist, I had um, quite a varied career. I was very fortunate to work in different domains. Uh, so from health, in, tackling health inequalities to working in central government uh, at 10 Downing Street, building partnerships, and then in the tech space um, for a while, helping entrepreneurs to grow and scale their business. And I think at the core of all of that was really my passion for collaboration and creating change for individuals and teams and businesses. And I think for me, that's what's carried me into coaching now. But it wasn't a straight journey. Um what happened was that I had all of these great opportunities that I sort of, I said yes to and then thrived in. And then I was, um, I guess back then I was in quite a cycle of burnout, but didn't really, you know, you just, I just sort of accepted that endurance and sacrifice as part of the world that we live in and the work that we need to do. But then I experienced, I sort of, um, was in a brilliant role that was very exciting and really interesting, but I felt completely overwhelmed in that role um, and very out of my depth and experiencing a lot of lack of confidence and imposter syndrome. I was comparing myself to other people. I was running on my nerves. I was on my laptop 24-7, struggling to sleep. So much so that my partners and friends and family were all sort of expressing concern. Um, and I felt very frustrated that they didn't understand. Um, so I, although I couldn't see it at the time, I was sort of really burnt out. And I started to become very um, cynical and quite despondent. And that took me to working with a coach. I didn't know what was going on or why I wasn't enjoying this incredible job that I had, but I knew something needed to change. And it took me to working with a coach and that's where everything started to change. And it put me on the path to becoming a coach now. And what I discovered in that coaching session was I was working against, like in an environment that didn't, um, none of my values were being expressed there. So 
there was uh, limited freedom, sort of limited progress, limited sort of fairness, I guess. And it was such a light bulb moment. Um, and I really bring that into the work that I do now uh, with clients as well. Um, so I didn't jump straight into coaching. I did spend a lot of time um, working in the tech space and then working um, around social impact partnerships, but trained trained to be a coach and then eventually set myself up full time about four years ago. I'm dying to know, Caroline, you mentioned there 10 Downing Street. Can you, you name drop that one in? So, <laughs> so, I mean, can you in the insight into that are you sworn to secrecy well i i can give the insight from that i think was it was um an incredible opportunity and i was sort of parachuted in as part of a new team that was set up to work with ministers and ceos to bring sort of make sure that there were strong relationships in place and then you, and then through those relationships encourage business to support policy initiatives that would, you know, whether it was um, improving careers advice for young people, whether it was about better access to um, incentives for to make your house more green, um, whether lots of different policy changes. So a lot, again, about that collaboration and creating positive change. Um, what was really brilliant about that time was it was completely fascinating to see the inner workings of, you know, Tendano Street and government. And also I was sufficiently naive about right. the workings of government and, you know, sort of what was, what was, you know, how things worked, that it meant that I was able to be very successful in that role because I wasn't really held back by not too much by the system. So I sort of kind of navigated that system as best as I knew how. Um, now, that wouldn't have been very sustainable long term. You know, if I'd wanted to build a career in the civil service, you have to be able to work in that context. But because of the unique nature of that role, it just mean that my naivety around working with ministers and having all these cabinet ministers in the same room and you know, I remember going to 10 Downing Street and Doctor Who was there alongside um, a reindeer because they were doing a Christmas. <laughs> like, like, like the real Doctor Who? Like the real Doctor on BBC. Who, yeah. It was Matt, um, oh, I forget his name, the one before, the most recent one. But So he was there and there was a reindeer there and they had some school kids there in front of the tree. And it was this <laughs> thing of weird and magical moments that you would have in that role that I so appreciate now. Um, and I also recognise my naivety was helpful, but it certainly wouldn't have stood me well in the long term in terms of developing a career there. So a wonderful moment in time. I think the other thing that I learned as well is, um, you know, the, there there are people who you assume who have a lot of um, sort of credibility and status by, you know, their title or how they're working there. But a lot of the time it's really a team effort. Um, right watching the machinery around the teams and and sort of machinery around a minister is just so fascinating to watch. And that's not to take away from, you know, ministers and what they're brilliant at, but it's just such a slick machine that you don't see um, behind the scenes. So it was really fascinating. I absolutely loved it. Um, I'm not sure I'd have been able to make a long-term career out of it. (laughs) Were were you like, like a child in a sweet shop? (laughs) 
Yeah, really? it's, like, it's like Doctor Who is over here. What's going on? <laughs> I'm like, you know, uh, yeah. So it was it was great fun, and I'm very grateful for it. Um, and can yeah. you name drop who the who the prime minister was at the time, or? It was the coalition government. So it was um, it was David Cameron was the prime minister, ah, and Nick Clegg oh. was the deputy prime minister. So, um, which, to be quite honest, looks like a heyday of a government compared compared yes. to. We'll, we'll we'll say nothing. We'll say, <laughs> so, I mean, generally, it's, I mean, you didn't catch any of them dancing, did you? Like Hugh Grant in um, in uh, Love Actually, you didn't catch them no. dancing, did you? No, no, I didn't. I feel like if I, if maybe if I'd been around when Boris was in, that might. Oh, have been he'd be dancing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you you mentioned it, which is kind of interesting. You said that, like you know, it's a it's a team effort, mm. and we see these people. We might put them on a pedestal, for example. Do do you think yourself with your experience? Um, within that environment and other areas of your career. Do you think a lot of us are are winging it to get through? Is that, am I kind of being unfair there? No, I think, I mean, I think most people feel like they're winging it. Um, I definitely, you know, the number one topic that clients come with, now they'll come with a few different things usually, um, but the number one topic, there's always a piece about confidence, credibility, um, gravitas. That's they always. There's always a. I would like to feel more confident. I'd like to be more credible. Um, I'd like to have more gravitas and more impact. Um, so that is quite universal, and that's you know at all levels. You know, execs, executive level, right down. Uh, to manager level. So yeah, I feel like, I guess we would call it imposter syndrome, but I feel like that is quite universal. Why do you think, Caroline, you, you mentioned it before as well, um, you were kind of saying yes to everything and then it maybe became a little bit overwhelming at times yeah. and this imposter syndrome you mentioned. I mean, the cynical part, why do you think you may have become somewhat cynical? I mean, is that a fair question? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, what we know is that when you are um, experiencing burnout or smoke out, I guess, as we would call it, I think just to be really clear about burnout, we often think of burnout being this sort of spectacular event where, you know, someone sort of goes poof and then has to leave, you know, their job for a while and get support. And that does happen. But the, the, the challenge is that you're you're in burnout a long time before it gets to that point, and often you're you're in the process of that what we would call smoke out long before that too, and sometimes it's really hard to recognise. But cynicism um, and sort of reduced performance and uh, also just really. Um, all the health indicators will crop up at that time. And that's when it's you're in the zone where you really need to make a big intervention. So cynicism for me was really because I just was questioning myself all the time in terms of, you know, what am I doing here? What value is it bringing? None of this really matters. Um, You know, I just, I wasn't connected to my work. I wasn't satisfied by what I was doing. I wasn't motivated by it. I was running on, you know, fear of being found out or of getting it wrong um, or fear of being sort of rejected, I guess, um, which is quite a potent combination of things to be fearful of. 
I wasn't operating from a space of, you know, purpose. You know, I wasn't operating from that space of energized, purposeful. You know, I was really running on, like, how do I stop the worst from happening? And and is that why you are kind of like you, you take a break away from it to kind of reevaluate what's going on to kind of recharge the battery, so to speak? Yeah, I mean, yes, exactly. And I can describe it like now I know because I've I've had support and I've been able to look back and sort of you know look at also understand the good lessons that came from that time. But at the time, I just couldn't see it, and the only thing that I knew was that none of it felt good. And I knew that something needed to change. Um, I didn't know what needed to change. I couldn't even see how I could really walk away from a role that, you know, on the outside was really successful. And lots of people were like, oh, wow, look at that role. That's incredible, the work that you're doing. So I was getting a lot of positive reinforcement from external reinforcement about how lucky I was and how what a great role it was. And it's quite hard to pull your get the time and space to reflect. Yeah. Uh when you're just kind of in the pan and also thinking and something needs to change, but I don't know what and I don't know how. And that's where a friend recommended going to see her coach. And it was yeah, as I said, we did the values and it was like all the floodlights came on. So so the values things and that's you know, is that's is that a kind of like a how do you say a point that everybody should be looking at if they're taking up a career or a job? It is having your values and then having the values of an organization and then bringing them together. Is that part of the solution or happiness or yeah, I think um I think in part it can. I think it's important to recognize, I mean, the, the it's important to understand your values and how to get them satisfied. So for example, just for example, one of my big values is progress. So obviously the work I do <laughs> requires me to always be progressing in some way, but, you know, I support my clients to progress as well. Yeah. Um, I also want, you know, my community to progress and my relationships to progress. So what that means is because I understand that value and how to get it satisfied, I've been able to build my career around it. What was happening before I got conscious about my progress value was I knew that certain roles were really satisfying for me and I loved them, really enjoyed them, found them energizing even though they were challenging and even though there was the office politics and, you know, even though you had to put in the hard graft um, often, it was all good because I was having this value satisfied, but I wasn't aware of that. I only became aware of it when I stopped having that satisfied through a couple of roles that sort of took me into a different world where, you know, that wasn't getting satisfied. And that's because... I didn't recognize, like, I didn't know that. I didn't know to check for that. And I didn't know, oh, there's a bit of a conflict happening while I was in the role. So knowing your values is really important. Understanding how, it's not about having the company having a direct match for your values. It's more about understanding how much your values will be satisfied in any work that you do. And also is the sort of general culture of that organization more aligned to your values than not. So um, 
to give a, an example with the progress value, it would be tough for me to go and work in an organization who was very risk averse, had a sort of mentality that was like, that's not how it's done around here. Um, you know, wasn't really into trying new things or experimenting or didn't invest in their people in the right way. Because what I know is that that would be quite challenging. It would be then be hard for me to get my progress value satisfied. I have to say, Karen, I love the way you've said there, like, you know, uh, the culture of an organization. I know myself in the past where the values, I would look at the company or organization values like, yep, that's for me. And then I would join that company I won't mention who they are. And I realize after a very short period of time that what's written is not actually what's been practiced, if that makes sense. And I'd find myself, no, this this is not for me. And I probably, as you mentioned everything before, you kind of say yes to things. So you kind of, you, that didn't work out. So you jump into another one. Okay, that didn't work out. That, and you're kind of looking for that holy grail so to speak that's what i found anyway and um but i think the more mature i've become i realize now kind of very quickly that if if the company doesn't meet my values or my goals or progress as you mentioned and i don't i don't stick around very long it's bad isn't it yeah you're i mean Completely, exactly that, David. And I think, um, I mean, let's face it, a lot of companies will sort of design their values, stick them on the wall, and then they're yeah. never mentioned again. No. <laughs> uh, you know, they're like up in the toilet when you come in, you know, the front door. And you could ask, um, you could ask, you know, people who work there and they wouldn't be able to tell you because it's just an exit, it's sort of a tick box exercise. It's not really embedded into the culture in the way um that makes it very powerful um and you're right and to say that you sort of you look at the ones on the wall and you think yeah great that's aligned to me but you can really quickly like you said you know it doesn't take very long to figure out oh this actually isn't for me and so part of the work that i do with clients is making sure that they're a obviously clear on their values um but B, they're able to test for that in interview processes or they're able to really hold themselves accountable when it comes to their leadership. Like, how are they expressing those values? If I'm in their team, how will I know? Like, what will tell me that this individual values, you know, positivity or progress or achievements or um, respect, you know, whatever those values are. So really making sure people not only identify the words, but understand how they're expressed and how to test that if you're looking to go into an organization as well. And they're brilliant tips. Um, we'll, we'll talk more about that later on, but let's chat then about the main topic of today, which is investing in yourself. So investing in yourself, is it a selfish thing to invest in yourself or can you pretty much simplistic as possible explain what is investing in yourself or oneself? <laughs> yes. <laughs> investing in yourself means you're putting in the time, energy, and often resources of you know money into making your current and future life better, uh, for want of a 
a sort of simple description. That can be in the different domains of your life. So it can be in your career, it can be in your relationships, it can be in your wider community, it can be your personal growth, it can be in your health, so physical and mental, and it can also be spiritual as well. Um, So investing in yourself is really about focusing time and energy into what's important to you and into growth uh, and development. Does that include, Caroline, kind of ignoring? <laughs> sounds a bit bad, but do you know where you get, the, you get the odd friend or the pal who's constantly draining your energy as much as I love all my friends and pals? Yeah. Um, but you find yourself constantly either on the phone or texting or the, 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 you know you're, 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 you can't actually do what's important to you is that is that being too selfish to tell you know your pals or whatever look I just need an hour or is there a way of saying that or you just ignore your phone yeah, I mean, <laughs> the ultimate option, I think, is ignore your phone. <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> there we go. <laughs> um, yeah, it's a brilliant, it's a brilliant question. I think um, I, I call them. You've got in your life, you have what I call radiators and drains. You've got people who you know give you energy, warm you up, kind of light your day up, and then you have drains, and that's true. You you know, at work, at home, um, more widely as well. I think the. The thing that most people find challenging is boundaries, healthy boundaries, um, and asking for what you need. It's a bit like the old um, gas mask, gas mask, not gas mask. Sorry, like when you're on the plane, it's that old. It's an old analogy, but you need to put your air mask, oxygen mask. That's the right yep, phrase. Yeah, right. You need to put your oxygen mask on first before you can support other people. And um, I think there's also a question of you know, ideally, you know. You can, if you can limit your your engagement with that individual, particularly if there's not any reciprocity there, if it's all taken, no return, then you really need to ask: Is this someone who, you know, is supporting me in my life? Is this someone who, um, you know, there's a genuine relationship there? It's a sort of question. Ideally, you know, you can sort of, as you say, ignore your phone, phase them out, as they'd say on Friends. <laughs> 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 that's often not a reality for us as well. So I think it is about, you know, setting setting good boundaries um, with someone like that. And what can be really helpful here is to be clear about not now and I promise to call you later or right. I need to do this now and I promise to call you later or and I'll drop you a line later. And what's important, and I'm using deliberately using and and not buts. And I'm also using a positive framing. So thank you for calling me. I'm really busy right now, or I, I'm, I really need to focus on this piece of work right now. And I'll call you at 2 p.m. And what that does is it's not, I don't have time to talk to you. It's not, I can't tolerate talking to you anymore. <laughs> <laughs> That's the life out of me. What it's basically saying is, I need to do me right now, or I have this important thing right now. You know, I understand that you need my support. So what I can do for you is call you at X time. And that's, the language is quite important there so that it doesn't feel like you're saying no, because saying no can, is, is really hard. Um, yeah. We're not really encouraged to say no. Um, but also you're recognizing 
you're sort of saying when I can help you. So I think that positive framing is really important. Um, and it just supports you. It feels less harsh than uh, like go away or I can't do it now or, or giving in and taking the call, even though it's going to cost you. Do you know, Caroline, the drainer, as we said, you said the radiator is in the drainer, so to speak. Do you know, you have sometimes we can be the, what's it called? The people fixer, so to speak. And your time and your energy has been there to try and support an individual or a group of individuals. And you spend hours or days explaining what they may, may you know, suggestions of what they might do or how they could tackle a problem. And then they do the total opposite. And then they come back to you three weeks later and they do the same thing. How how can you manage that by kind of, you know, is that going back to boundaries again? Or should we not try to fix people if you don't try to get out, especially when you're trying to invest in yourself? Yeah, I think um, we, a lot of people do have a pleasing, fixing, rescuing tendency. Um, I think what's important here, and this can lead to, um, frustration, it can lead to feeling drained. But I think what's important here is to recognize what you're responsible for and what's in your control. So you can help people, guide people, take the time, but ultimately they are the only people who can implement it. Yeah. Um, they are the only people that can make the change. Um, and so really understanding where your again it's a bit of a boundary but where what what is in your control and what's 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 not in your control what's not in your control is what that other individual does with your feedback with your advice um with your support um so it's really recognizing that and understanding you're not it's you know you're not responsible ultimately can i ask in caroline so we take a few steps back there. When you when when your fa- friends and a family, obviously this is a benefit to them. But when when you were say friends and family were saying to you, you know, you maybe act a little bit differently, you're probably a little more stressed. Or, I mean, you obviously took it as they're caring, but it can be an annoyance as well if you're not trying to get it because because you're just like just leave me alone and I think this is you but it's kind of like you leave me alone I'm getting on my job I'm getting on my career you know just get out of my face in a nice way I mean yeah. um, so how then the benefit here is investing in yourself but if we get back to the stage where when family or friends were probably saying to you something similar how, how did you kind of manage that part get out of my face, leave me alone. So what's the wake up call? Yeah, I think <laughs> it's a really good example. Yeah, I was very um, frustrated. I felt I felt like they just didn't, they didn't understand what was required. Um, and so what I would do differently now is, is be open to having a conversation about what was important for me right now, you know, what, what I needed in, from them in terms of support, but also what I could potentially offer them for, for, you know, in terms of what they needed. Right. Um, and I think what they needed was for me to, for me to, and again, I don't know because this is just based on what they told me, but I think what they were concerned about was that I was just being completely swallowed up by work and uh, I was having 
a lot of health challenges as a result. Right. And probably I was pretty unbearable to live with, I suspect. Okay, that's fair enough. (laughs) Let's let's face it, I was probably pretty intolerable. Um, (laughs) And so I think, you know, they were very concerned on the health side. Um, Mm -hmm. However, they, they didn't really because I wasn't able to share a lot with them and I didn't slow down and think, oh, hang on, these people who really love me are are sort of, you know, waving red flags. I didn't really slow down to think about that. In part because I didn't really have the capacity to do it, I think, at the time. But I think um, how I would deal with it now is to be more clear about where I am, what's going on for me, um, not trying to hide, you know, not trying to put on this veneer of like, it's all fine, but to really just be honest about where I was. And then that helps them understand better what the situation was. And then I might have been able to get to, you know, a different path. Like I went on a particular path. I went to work with the coach and then eventually moved on from that role. But I might have been able to plot a different path. But the thing was, I didn't ask. I didn't ask for that help, even though it was being offered, and I didn't take the time to share what was going on for me. I just sort of put them in. You know, I was just like, "Oh, you're this isn't helping me." Right. Um, and then it wasn't until my husband essentially said, "You know, we can't continue." He wasn't threatening divorce or anything like that, or I don't think he was. I mean, who knows? That's it. Who knows? <laughs> we'll, we'll move on quickly. Yeah, I'm sorry, joking. Go on. <laughs> um, but he just said, "You know, we can't continue to live like that," and that was the right. moment where I was like, oh, "Okay," like that cut through the noise, and that's when I was like, "Right, I need to do something." And but- how long then did it kind of did you feel better? I mean, the the weight off the shoulders, I mean. Yeah, it took a long time. Well, understanding the piece around values was very much a weight off the shoulders because it made me understand that whilst it was my responsibility to understand my values and it was my responsibility to understand what culture I thrive in best and what kind of role I thrive in best, um, and why that was important and what value that brings to the table for the employer. That was my responsibility. Um, what it did take the weight off my shoulder was this sense of like, oh, and that's why I've been feeling so terrible. And that's why I've been feeling so completely out of my depth. And that's why, um, you know, it's been really difficult for me. So I was understood what was my responsibility, but it also really alleviated. I was suddenly like, oh, I get it. Okay, it's not because I'm rubbish at my job. It's not because I'm a rubbish human being. You know, it's not because I'm failing. It's actually this thing which sounds very simple, but is so important. And well, you've 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 put it brilliantly there. It's um, and I think you've experienced it, and hopefully, somebody listening to this now will relate to it like you know and seeing you've come out the other side if that makes as a positivity um which is which is really really good can i ask then caroline so this one there's a lot of layoffs lately as we're all aware um especially in the tech industry and other industries what would you kind of or what would your opinion be so you're an employee you've worked for say company x for 20 years, 15 years, and you've given all your time, all your energy, you you taught your part of the family, you then go to work one day and you're locked out of the company computer <laughs> or you're locked out. I know it sounds, I know I'm laughing, but this is ridiculous. If you don't try to get up, you don't get any information. Wow. Um, you feel totally let down. 
um, how how can an individual pick themselves up after that? After in their own mind, they've given so much to this company. How can they move on and possibly move on to a new career? Yeah. A redundancy is so tough. Um, you know, it is, it is a major life event for the reasons that you've talked about. You know, we invest a lot of time in our career. It becomes part of, like, to some degree, it can become part, you know, our job and our career becomes part of our identity. And that is really tough. So when you suddenly, and of course, companies are not always, in part because of the process of redundancy. I've been on both sides of the table. Um, and the process of redundancy can be quite brutal. As you said, you know, one day you're sort of happily working away and the next day you can't get into the building, never mind the system. Um, and I think there's a couple of really important things. There's, there's, a, there's a number of things that you can do, but I think if I was to highlight three, I think the first is to really, it is a major life event. So this is going to sound slightly, this is sounds slightly hippie, but like allow yourself to feel how you feel about it. Like allow yourself to recognize like this is this is rubbish. Like this is not great. I don't feel good about this. Um, because that's natural. Like it's a really natural feeling. I mean, I was working with a client recently who um, was made redundant and knew they were going to be made redundant, actually wanted to leave the company. And so this was a really good, op- like this was essentially an opportunity for them to kind of exit the company, you know, with some funding, and kind of pursue the career that they want to. And yet it was still incredibly tough for them to go through that process because it's it feels like a big rejection. It feels, you know, you can end up making it about you. So my first tip would be recognize that it's, you know, feel your feelings and then start moving forward. The second thing is that it's an opportunity to really Take time to reflect on your career, and and there's and there's probably four things that I'd encourage you, five things that I'd encourage you to reflect on. So the first is, what have you learned? And you can think about your most recent job, but I also encourage you to think about your career overall. What have you learned? What skills have you gained? What did you like about your most recent job? And again, you can track back through your career and think about what energized me in each of my different roles. What did I really enjoy? The sort of fourth question is, what would you be happy to never do again? So for me, it, <laughs> it was writing briefs for ministers because that that is a serious skill and it's very hard to do really well. And the other one is sales forecasting, like Excel. Excel and I, we're just not friends. How about you, David? What would you, ha- from your career, what would you happily never do again? Um, oof, that, that, it's a great question and I have to be very careful how I answer it. But generally, there is a part of the job that I can't stand Ooh. and that's the early mornings. Well, yes. Yeah. And I mean like half two oh. the half two departures, three o'clock in the morning departures. Um no, no thank you. I can I'm okay if I'm gonna say leaving at five or six in the evening and working overnight yes. into the morning, but that time, oof, no, that's I'd never like to do that again. Anyway, moving on. <laughs> I'm with you. That's like peak, peak deep sleep time. Um, so yeah, think about what you'd be happy to never do again. And when I work with clients on this, because it's important actually just for your career strategy overall, wherever you are. But when I'm working with clients, on this is often the, the bit they find easiest to, to do. Um, and then the final question is, what are you really proud of? What are you proud of? And I'd really encourage anyone who has been redundant, made redundant to write that list 
small big small wins big wins and write that list until you have nothing left to write keep going when you feel like there's nothing more just keep going because there'll be lots lots and lots and lots particularly if you have a 20 year career like there's tons in there don't worry about whether you did it or whether you helped your team do it just get it all done and then celebrate these wins and the reason that this is really important is because firstly, it will support you to feel more positive and more confident at a time where you're going to feel a little bit up and down. It will also help you to be clear on like the value that you bring to the t- table as a professional or as an expert in your field. And it can also give you some clarity about, oh, in my next role, I want to have more of this stuff that I like. And I definitely don't want to have any of this stuff or very little of this stuff that I don't want. So it can really help with that process about thinking about what's the right next step, the right next move for you. And then when you get that big long list of all the results and achievements and and outcomes that you've um, had in your career, you can just, that's results that you can include in your CV and talk about in your interview and put it on your LinkedIn or in your cover letters. But it's a really great exercise to just start moving you forwards, building that confidence and doing something that's actually very practical. You can just lift that and start putting it into that job search process. And then the the final, so that's the reflect, reflect on your career and think about those questions, those prompts. And then my third sort of essential is to make a plan about how you're going to what you're going to do and then ask for help. This is really hard for people often because we can feel a bit ashamed or we can feel a bit embarrassed that we've been made redundant. But most people have been made redundant at some point in their life. Um, I was really lucky that I got made quite redundant quite early in my career. I was pretty angry about it, but it actually worked out brilliant. So asking for help. So thinking about your network, dropping people a note, you know, get references from your old boss, ask them to think about you when it comes to opportunities, ask them to connect you, you know, just think about asking for help. And it doesn't have to be, you know, all day, every day, but maybe set yourself a goal to reach out, you know, once a day or take an action once a day, you know, look for a job, apply for a job, but make a plan and ask for help. People always enjoy helping. So... Is it, Caroline, as well? I mean, they're, they're great tips and strategies. It, is it best as well? Because say, for example, you know, a couple of hundred of you in, in your team have been laid off mm-hmm. and there's obviously got more than likely to be a bit of negativity around a group. Is it best to kind of, for your own awareness and health and mental health, to kind of ignore that part and just kind of keep moving forward and driving on? Is, is that a good way of looking at it? I think you, I think, and you know, this will be based on what, you know, you know, what's best for you. And again, it's back to that being mindful of the radiators and drains. So do what is right for you. Take the time you need. That's my top tip. I wish I'd done more of that actually when I was burnt out, taking the time that I needed. And some people, you know, that depends on your situation, of course, but take the time that you need in the environment that you need to move forward with positivity. Don't sort of, yeah, be mindful of that pull on your energy and pull on your positivity. Um, and also if you just need time away because you need to sort of lick your wounds, do that too. That's okay. 
what about expectations then, Caroline? So, you know, sometimes our perception when we talk about when, when a company has certain values and, you know, they let you know that you're part of the family and should we kind of, is it a good habit to kind of always have a plan B, a plan C, enjoy it while it lasts the job, do it for the money. And then you kind of harden up yourself that if these things do happen, that you might be laid off unexpectedly, you're prepared, you're ready, and you're ready for the next, the next challenge. Mm, this is a great question. I think for me, um, again, this goes back to really understanding what is your vision for your life and your obviously your career is part of that. And what are you working on in this season of your life? Like what's the goals around your career for this season of your life? Um, so I'm working with a client right now whose single focus is to earn as much money as they can because they're looking to retire early. Okay. They're not what they want to retire from is the nine to I was gonna say nine to five. That doesn't really exist anymore, but like the Monday to Friday and beyond the corporate world. It's not that they won't then work, but they're just looking to go into a different phase of their career. So for them, they're about they're sort of willing to sacrifice, you know, really interesting, stimulating work. It's still interesting enough. They're willing to sacrifice um, a bit of that work-life balance. Um, but the things that they weren't willing to sacrifice and we worked around was, you know, making sure that the company was in alignment with their values. Because ultimately, we know that misalignment with values leads to burnout is one of the factors that leads to burnout, along with overworking, along with lack of recognition and rewards, along with lack of um, team connection as well. So I think... Just know what you're aiming for in this season of your career and don't lower your ambition. Do manage expectations because it helps you not be disappointed. Um, but I think, you know, if your objective is do it for the money, go for it. That's totally cool. It's just making sure that that is what you want. If you end up wanting to go somewhere because you want to, progress your career, you want to develop in your career, or you want to be really proud of the, you know, the work that the company does, then you need to be clear on that as you're going in and you need to test for that. Because if you then get in there and they don't, they're not going to like, you're end up, you'll end up leaving that company sooner rather than later anyway. So again, it's just that clarity. Like, what are you, what's the vision? What are you aiming for? What are you working on right now? What does that mean for the job that you're doing? What about so? Let's move on then to the to the business side, Caroline. Let's do this. So, the you know you have some excellent feedback from your clients. Um, firstly, you work with men and women, and generally, if I was to go to you tomorrow and I'm looking for an executive coach or a career strategist, how how does the process work? Um, quite, thank you. I um, the process is to get in touch. So um, you can find me generally on LinkedIn or over on Instagram or through my website, but get in touch. Um, I work with men and women around executive leadership coaching. I also do team coaching as well. So working with leadership teams to develop their vision, purpose and leadership skills. Um, and then I work a lot with uh, women around career strategy. I also do a bit of that with um, my executive coaching clients as well as it comes up. Um, but I work with women through a group program. Um, 
So if you wanted to get in touch, then yeah, I'm sort of, you can find me on LinkedIn. We would have a talk, we would get together, have a um, short call where, where we'll talk about what is it you're looking to achieve? What are your goals? The purpose of that is twofold. It's for, for, you know, it would be for you, David, as much as it would be for me to make sure that, you know, you have a, you have the right set of challenges that I can really help with. And also that you feel like I'd be the right coach for you. Right. Um, which is a good, which is a good way of doing it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then we would decide what the best approach would be and sort of go from there. Is most of your work, I mean, do you do it mainly face-to-face or is it via the internet? Is it mainly uh, Europe or globally? Yeah, so it's mostly online um, and it's global as well. I'm very fortunate to have clients from all over the world, which makes um, which keeps me fresh. And I also have different types of clients as well. So I work a lot with corporate clients, but I also, because I spent a bit of time in tech, I work a lot with um, tech founders um, as well as government officials because of my time over in government as well. So it's such a great combo. But yes, I do work with work, work work globally, mostly online. I do do face-to-face stuff with leadership teams often. Um, I'm just back from Geneva doing a session there, which it's always a nice, it's travel is one of my things that I invest in. Right. You're name dropping it again, Caroline. Yeah, I am. I'm like, any excuse to travel, take me there, please. I'm the opposite now. <laughs> yeah, I've travel all the time. Uh, so, but yeah. I'm looking. I'm looking at your website. Yeah. So I mean, you have uh, your website is carolineraycoaching.com, and uh, you have some excellent reviews. Uh, you know, as I mentioned, it's globally. So you, uh, I've one here which is from Washington D.C. Uh, Caroline helped me properly analyze what I want to have my career, what I'm willing to do, and what I aim to achieve. She's been instrumental to help me build self confidence, inspiring me to do greater things. And um, there's ones from London. Uh, there's one I think there from Colorado. So, yeah, I mean, I'm not going to mention who the individuals are, but if anybody goes to the website, they'll see all the feedback, positive feedback that uh, that Caroline has. So, can I ask then if an individual or a group of individuals they have been laid off and they're in their uh, can I say this these days middle years, fifties yep. or. <laughs> We haven't come up with a better version, yeah. Yeah, middle 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 years, and and they've only worked to say at one job, mm-hmm. and their skill base is only. I say, well, that's probably unfair of me to say their skill base because you could probably transfer skills, but yeah. their main qualification or job has been associated with a certain part of an industry for say twenty five years, for example. And now they've been laid off, or they want a career change. What 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 advice or suggestions do you have for them? I think. Um, the main advice is to really understand, again, sort of back to that question around, you know, what really energizes you in your work? What what are your strengths? What are your skills? And not just the laundry list of all the things that you can do, because, you know, if you've been 20 years in a career, you learn to do a lot of things. But what are the ones where you're really recognized or you really excel at? And also what you're quite frankly brilliant at, um, of which there'll be plenty. And then really thinking about, you know, if you want to make a change or you want to um, make a sort of shift into a slightly different um, sector or you want to do more of the same, but in a slightly different way, thinking about what doors do these open, trying to think really broadly about what doors these open for me. Um, And then who do I know? 
Who do I know who I can talk to about, who I can test these ideas with, who might um, be able to connect me with people in the kind of jobs that I want to do. Um, so I think taking time, the most important thing I think is take time to reflect, invest that time in getting clear about you know what you're great at, the value that you bring to the table uh, as a you know veteran professional, um, <laughs> and what you really want moving forward. Before we go, Caroline, today, have you any funny stories of your time at Ten Downing Street? <laughs> That you can share. Um, I'm not sure I can. <laughs> you don't have to mention who, yeah. who the minister was or yeah. anybody. Would have, was any yeah. any wild parties or anything like that you'd like to sure fly on the wall that. type of stuff? <laughs> I think I think my most one of my most embarrassing moments um, was getting into what I thought was quite an expansive, like revolving door situation. Um, to get in behind one of the Prime Minister's special advisors to discover it was not big enough for two people. And also it was a security door. So as soon as I stepped in, it actually closed behind me and I was very squished up <laughs> to this individual. <laughs> did not look very happy about it. And so that was only about 30 seconds, but it's um, quite well burned into my memory. <laughs> all right. You won't be forgetting that one. <laughs> um, well, all of you, thanks so much to Caroline Ray for chatting with me today uh, on the podcast about investing in yourself. Uh, once the podcast has been approved, I'll uh, put all the links to Caroline and you can get in touch with her directly for any further coaching that you may require or information. So thanks so much, Caroline, for chatting with me today. Thank you for having me, David. It was wonderful.